Well, Lord, thank you for being a forever God. Well, I'm going to do the message up front today, and as you can probably see on the screen, the title is called uh, The Call to Community, and this is uh, part four of the series we've been going through from First Thessalonians called Faith, Hope, and Love. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my history with churches and what I thought church really should be about at one point in my life and what I think it is to be today. So I'm going to take you back to when I was either 10, 11, or 12 years old, and I was going to uh, St. John's uh, Lutheran Church in Seward, Nebraska, and I was just allowed, finally, to sit up in the balcony Otherwise, I had to sit with my grandparents all of the time. And they had a horseshoe-shaped balcony, and I had to sit up in the front of the balcony so that my grandparents, who sat underneath the balcony area, could actually see me and keep their eye on me all the time. Well, I got to thinking about church up there, and I finally decided to tell a few of my friends my idea of a perfect church. This is my description. I came up with a six-point program to make a perfect church when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Well, first of all, they only have services at night. None of this 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning stuff. I mean, that's ridiculous. Who wants to get up at that time to come to church? Well, the second thing is, while I kind of like the organ and I like Mr. Schmee, who is the organist, we wouldn't have no stinking organ. We'd have a rock and roll band. I thought of Buddy Holly and the Crickets. I was thinking stuff like that, and we'd only play and sing songs that I liked. Uh, The third thing would be there would be no announcements ever. I mean, don't be wasting my time with your inane announcements about, well, I was going to say potlucks (laughs) or or whatever. Don't don't need none of those announcements at all. Well, and the, the next thing was the pastor would be a really great talker. In fact, I want to remind you, this is back in the 1950s, and I said the preacher doesn't even have to be local. What we're going to do is we could get this giant movie screen up front, and we just show a film of somebody famous talking to us. Of course, it'd be Sunday night, not in the morning. We don't want to be up so early in the morning. And finally, I said, and we're not going to have all those dumb meetings and committees and projects. Um, we're not going to have any small groups. We're going to waste our time with Sunday school. Uh, we're not going to have work days, and I went on and on. I had a whole bunch of stuff. We just planned some of what we're going to do. We just have a church service once a week when I wanted to be there, and we'd do what I wanted to do, and that would be that. Now, as you can guess, uh, it's been 60 years since then, and i got to tell you, I had a lot of goofy ideas back then, and a lot of people weren't very reluctant in telling me that you have a lot of goofy ideas. The second thing is, I'm going to tell you, is that there are some churches that actually implement this model, believe it or not. They put all of their energy into having to get have a great big show once a week with uh, music and lights and uh, video and stage sets, and that's about all they do. Uh, So you kind of come, you sit there in a big giant theater, and you kind of watch the whole thing. And maybe you sing along, maybe you don't. Uh, You're kind of a part of a big crowd. You don't really know anybody. You don't really talk to anybody. And when it's over, you walk out, and maybe you'll come back next week, and maybe you won't. 
but who's going to know if you're there or not? Kind of fits in with our congregation, our conversation earlier today. Now, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand what I am saying and what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that big churches are bad or that well-planned and well-executed worship services are wrong. What I'm saying is that's not enough. It's not enough. We're going to get to what Paul's talking about where this is not enough. A big celebration service where somebody comes out uh, and and, uh, you get lost in the crowd, you don't connect with anybody, and then you leave alone. This isn't what church or what a community is all about. I'm going to remind you that Restore is what? A missional what? Community. Everybody says, what kind of church? I said, we don't have a church. We have a missional community because there's a big difference between those two words. Now, but just coming and going in and out, you know, crawling in and then crawling back out is not what church is really meant to be. Now, I'm going to tell you that every pastor of big churches that I know, and I've pastored three large churches. When you're talking about 3,000 members or 2,000 members or 1,000 members, you know, 1,500 people on a Sunday morning, I've pastored churches like that. They would probably say the same thing that I'm saying today, and that's why they constantly try to build community somehow within that structure. So when I told people when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, my six-point plan for the perfect church, it wasn't well received. In fact, it got around to my pastor, <laughs> Pastor Heidemann. And he brought me into his office. He said, I, guess you, I guess I understand you have a way of doing church better than we do it here at St. John's. And I said, yeah, yeah. Well, when I got done with it, my pastor looked at me and he says, Barry, you're nuts. I remember those words. You're nuts. And I hope you never, ever end up being a pastor. (laughs) Well, too bad. I was ordained 36 years ago as a pastor. But here's what I've learned along the way. And there's a sense in the Christian life in which you you are on your own. There's that sense. I mean, you are responsible for you uh, and no one else is. Your mother and father cannot accept Jesus for you. Uh, No one can make a decision for you to uh, grow in your Christian discipleship walk. Neither can you blame anyone for all the sins that you commit. You are responsible for you, and you are the only one responsible for you. So it's your responsibility to see to it that you grow that you seek God, that you confront sin in your life, that you accomplish something worthwhile in your life. But you also need to understand something, and I think most of you probably do, that this job is really too big for one person to do all alone by himself or herself. That's where this collective community, this body of Christ, uh, comes in. We strengthen one another and we encourage one another. The Greek word really means to put courage into. You might come in like, I'm not sure what to do. Well, thanks for coming today. We're going to try to pump a little courage into you and we're going to try to help you along the way. Now, what I've discovered in my years as a pastor for, for many years is that people tend to swing to extremes. They either try to do everything all by themselves 
without any help, or they dump all their responsibility on the pastor or on the board of elders or somebody in church, and they say, here I am, take care of me, take care of me. Well, (laughs) both extremes are wrong, I'll tell you that much. The proper balance, and we're going to get to 1 Thessalonians if you're wondering about it, uh, is to understand you are responsible for you, and in order to fulfill responsibility for you, you need to make sure you have the proper support system, if you will, set up. Now, I'll give you another example. When I was a little boy, uh, some of you know, my grandparents raised me. Uh, and uh, about the same time I was coming up with stupid ideas about church, uh, the chain on my bicycle came off. Now, any of you ever had a bicycle that has a chain on it? You've got to get the dumb things back on. So you flip the thing upside down. And, and I'm trying to get that chain back on that sprocket again. Every time I did it, I kind of cranked it. It just pop off again. And I went, did that over and over again. And uh, my grandpa was just standing there. He wasn't saying a thing. And finally, I just said, I give up. I can't do it. I've done everything I can. I can't, I can't fix this stupid bike. And I remember just kicking it over. And my grandpa, who had not said anything to this point, said, have you asked for my help? And I said, uh, no. He says, well, then you haven't done everything you can do. See, there's the balance. It's good. It's even healthy for you to want to do everything on your own. It's really great that you go home and you read your own scriptures and you pray your own prayer. And, kind of, and, and I guess in one way, kind of disciple yourself. But every person needs to realize that in order to succeed on your own, you also need other people gathered around you from time to time who walk with you. Now, let's get to the Bible <clears throat> after that lengthy introduction. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul says something very interesting in the space of about three or four verses. First of all, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul said, you need to help other people. But then a few verses later, he says what? He says something almost completely different. He said, each one of you should carry his own load. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying there's a little balance here. You need to be strong. Strong in the Lord. You need to strive for independence. You need to worry and carry your own weight. You need to be part of a team atmosphere where you lend a helping hand to other people and they're lending a helping hand to you. So now in 1 Thessalonians 2, we're going to get to our text, Paul talks about the spirit of community. It existed in the church that he planted here in Thessalonica. And it's the same kind of community that I would suggest that all of us we should really seek to be a part of. And that's why I'm going to remind you again, we are Restore, not a missional church. We are a missional community, uh, and that's very important. That's because church is not just a group of people plopping in a pew, sitting in a, in a building uh, to sing a few songs and listen to somebody yap for 15, 20 minutes or so. So church, ecclesia, I like that word, ecclesiastical comes from that the Greek word Uh, the church is really a a community that's what we are a family we are a team it's a collection of interconnected lives you know we're all going to go home later but we still are connected in one way or another it's kind of a living organism so hardly a week goes by that I don't talk to someone and as some of you know I frequent Hollister Coffee Company every day, six days a week. That's because they're only open six days a week. 
but it is hardly a week goes by that I don't talk to someone or hear from someone on Facebook Messenger or on a text or whatever who's had a bad experience with church. I mean, I've said, you know, I've got around to the point. So, oh, by the way, when I fished out, you know, one of my uh, business cards and I said, here, you know, you might be interested in coming to. Uh, no, I, I don't want nothing to do with church. And you get to talking to them and you find out they've had a bad experience. It's kind of like I tried it once and I did not like it. Uh, and that's a shame. Uh, that people have bad experiences with church. Uh, but sadly, some churches don't provide the proper environment for spiritual growth, which is called discipleship. I mean, that's why we're kind of spending time going through the Bible, different chapters. When I'm not here, Jeff will take you through most of the Bible on one Sunday. I'm only going to deal with a few uh, short verses here today. Uh, but some churches really, sad to say, kind of chew people up and spit them out. And um, but I'm not interested in telling kind of war stories. That's not our primary concern. Our concern here at Restore um, is to provide the right kind of atmosphere that those people who come here find Jesus. Now, we've had some interesting things happen. We had a baptism here shortly after we came. We had another baptism that spawned five more baptisms. You know, it's the right atmosphere to put people into and people grow. When you, you are part of a community and you start building some camaraderie amongst people, you know, surrounded with kind of a spiritual setting, strange things happen. You might be interested to know, Jeff, that Amber asked me to do her wedding. All right. Yeah. Now, why would she ask me? Well, she knows I'm a pastor. She knows I care about her. Uh, she knows, even while I joke with her and kid, she's, by the way, one of the baristas at Hollister Coffee Company. She says, it would be really great if you could come and do my wedding. Well, see, we need to come and gather strength and encouragement and support in order to build a strong life for ourselves. And the reason why is because, well, about 11 o'clock or a little bit later, you're all going to leave this place and you're going to be walking into a different world. A different world that is broken. A different world that many people aren't even in any kind of a community at all. So with that being said, let's get to First Thessalonians. There's my lengthy introduction. The sermon is shorter, by the way. We're going to find three things here that we need to strive for as the body of Christ. But there are also three things we need to strive to contribute to anybody we come into contact with. Now, here's the very first thing Paul, say, Paul says in uh, verse... Uh, seven, he said, we need to strive to be gentle with one another. Now, look at verse seven. We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. Now, that phrase, uh, like a mother, actually refers to a nursing mother. And I don't know if you can picture a scene that's more tender or gentle or nurturing other than seeing uh, uh, the mom nursing her little one. Now, Paul says that's the way we were with you. And that's how we need to be with each other, to be gentle with one another. Uh, the idea is not to gather together and beat people up. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or even nod your head, but have you ever been in a church service where you kind of felt like somebody beat you over the head for 25 minutes? <laughs> you evil, wicked, bad, nasty people, you need to... <laughs> We don't we don't need that. Now, a Facebook friend of mine, let me give you an illustration of this. 
I shared that he had recently gone to a Bible study for the first time. Finally worked up nerve to go to a men's Bible study. Uh, where in the prayer time, uh, they were asked what prayer requests people might have. And so he shared a personal problem. In response to this, rather than praying, the entire group of men beat him up. And he said, I said, what do you mean beat and haul you outside? And he said, no. One guy said, well, you brought that problem on yourself. Suck it up, big boy, and deal with it. Another person said, well, <laughs> knowing you, it's no accident that you have problems. Now, I was kind of taken aback. I, anybody ever, I hope you've never been to a Bible class like that. And he said, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but it would have been kind of nice if somebody would have provided a little bit of comfort and compassion along with correction. I don't mind them correcting, but can you do it compassionately? Can you show some love? Can you, can you show me some community here? Now, following the example of Jesus, we, we too need to be gentle with each other whenever we come together. We just need to take care of one another. I mean, Jeff and I were talking a little bit today. We know that we kind of rise and fall here in attendance. And sometimes people are gone for two or three or four weeks and you kind of wonder where they're at. And we, we need to find a way of, you know, keeping the community, to grow the community, not for numbers sake here, but so that we can do more in the community out there. So that's one thing. Here's the second thing. He says we need to encourage one another. Now, encourage in the Greek really means to put courage into Paul says here, we were like a mother among you. And then he says in verse 12, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. See, as Christ followers, that's us gathered here this morning. One of the messages that I would like just to communicate can probably be summed up in four different words. It's going to it's not going to sound very spiritual. But, you know, there's times when we need to come up and, you know, I'm talking to Anthony. Anthony's telling me about something. I said, well, Anthony, I know you can do it. You're the man. I mean, I've, I've kind of sent that message to him every once in a while. You know, you're the man. Uh, and he, he'll take care of it. Or, or we, we need to say, um, come up and say, Bo, I can help you with that. And that, that's part of this. Or, uh, you know, I believe in you. You can do it. I know you can. So you seek out people who know how to encourage you. Uh, people who know how to comfort you, uh, people who are good at saying you can you can do something even greater than you, you thought you could do. Uh, and then also to be that kind of person for everyone else. Uh, there's a, a famous writer his name is William Ward. And William Ward said, flatter me, flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may never forgive you. But encourage me, and I will never forget you. How many people have encouraged you in your life to be all you can be, for example? I think about the countless. This is, this is a month where, in the Lutheran Church, we're to celebrate uh, Christian people who have influenced us in our life. And the new president at Concordia University in Seward has been writing articles uh, maybe two or three a week about people that influenced him. And now he's the president of the university that I graduated from. And in the last three days, he's brought up three people I know personally. And I stopped and I thought to myself, wow, Dr. Jurgensen, Jay, the older brother, one of my best friends. 
He was like that big brother I didn't have. And he took four goofy guys kind of under his wing, four years old, and kind of guided us through that teenage life into high school and college. I thought about Tim Maschke, who happened to be the pastor at the church I did my field work at while I was still a basketball coach up in northern Illinois. And uh, he, he would take time to tell me what, what, what it was going to be like to be a pastor. And he would tell me about, yeah, maybe tomorrow we'll talk about what's not so good about being a pastor sometime. But then we're going to talk about what the benefits are. And you think about those people who encouraged you along the journey rather than said, I'd stop what you're doing. You're no good at that. <laughs> Get rid of those people. Now, it's going to come as no surprise. Restore is not a perfect church. And we don't really pretend that everything is as rosy as it, it could be or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, is that we, as we gather, serve a God whose power knows no limits. Now, we sometimes like, well, what are we going to do to get? Well, hold on. God's got the power out there. How do we access that power? God has unlimited power out there. Uh, he, he has mercy that knows no limits. How can I be merciful? Well, I need to put his mercy and take it out there. Uh, his love never ends. and That message needs to go out to people as well. Now, it's no surprise the world outside is not in really great shape today. Uh, in fact, the world can be a pretty rotten place if you want to dwell on it. Um, and you might be struggling with some difficult stuff today, too. I, I don't know, but I never want you to lose sight of the fact that God can turn any situation around. I've been around long enough to see some amazing turnarounds in people's lives, and I just rejoice and praise God for that. I mean, I've seen people who have gained victory over some of the nastiest sin you could probably think about. Uh, I have seen people who have been kind of locked up in all kinds of terrible situations, but God has given them life in the midst of, and liberty in the midst of some horrible places. I mean, you know, I've been 25 years teaching in prison. I've seen some amazing turnarounds in people's lives. I mean, God can turn any situation around. And that's and he can do it. And he can do it in your life. And that's what we each of us needs to hear. Now, there's a third part of this. This almost fits in with next Sunday. We need to strive to enjoy one another. Enjoy one another. Psalm 133, uh, David says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. But then Paul goes on, and we're going to look at the next verses here. It, and he's talking to the Thessalonian church in verses 17 to 20. He says, But brothers and sisters, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, <clears throat> one of our intense longings we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, what is Paul saying here? I think he's just simply saying, we just like being with you. It's a great place to be. We, we enjoy your company. Uh, you mean a lot of stuff to us. I think about my wife, who's going to be missing like three weeks in a row. And every week she says, you know, I just really miss being there. I miss seeing the people. I miss talking to these people. And uh, then I always say, what about me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you I see all the time. 
<laughs> well, I'm just kidding. But that, that's what I want this gathering to be, to be able to say to one another, to enjoy comp- our company with one another, to laugh, to have fun, to celebrate, to live in fellowship together. Now, fellowship is, you know, koinonia is fellowship. And I always think of a, I have a goofy way of remembering koinonia and fellowship. It's two fellows on the same ship going in the same direction for the same reason. So if we are, we are people together on the same boat, the boat called Restore, we're all together for the same reason, going in the same direction, encouraging each other and encouraging and trying to bring other passengers on the boat as we sail into a community. See, that's what God wants for his people. It's what we need to strive to build together. It's kind of the idea, or the idea of a, being a rugged individualist is kind of a myth. Uh, if you want to develop character, if you want to be like a rock, strong and determined and unshakable, then you need to immerse yourself into a community of like-minded people. Now, I hope that's how we could describe this place. But if it doesn't, then I would challenge you to become an agent of change to help shape it back into what it can be. So I guess my summary points would just very simple, just be gentle with one another. Take care of each other. Be interested in each other. I had the chance to hang out with a couple of people yesterday. I don't normally get to be around, and uh, one of them's going through some difficult times. And I had the opportunity just to hug on them a little bit and encourage them a little bit and assure them of my prayers. That's good for us to be able to do that with people that we know, whether they're in, in, in this fellowship or whether they're in some other fellowship. To enjoy one another's company, it's just, you know, it's good just to be here. Um, you know, we're in this together, whether we like it or not. <laughs> we are in what's called, what, the body of Christ. So we need to help each other uh, to be strong, like a rock in our walk with Jesus. And then take this community into this broken world that surrounds this place and share the good news of Jesus as we go. That's Paul's challenge for community.